1: It is a massive week of issuance. Over the next three days, we will have $258 billion worth of supply from the Treasury, record issuance of three- and six-month bills. Three-month bills worth $51 billion, six-month bills for $45 billion, both unprecedented in their size. So let's ask, what price will the Treasury get for them? Joining us now is Jack Alvin. He is Cresset founding partner and chief investment officer. Jack, great to catch up with you on a, on a newly founded firm as well. So congratulations to Thank that, you. Jack Ablin. Let's just get to the bond market if we can first. A huge week of issuance. What price is the Treasury going to have to cough up for that much supply? I've, they've already had to suffer with uh, a
2: higher than expected yield on the 10-year when they came a, a week or two ago. Uh, supply is an issue, at least near term. Longer term, however, <clears throat> I think that You know, remember, we have to keep in mind that the European Central Bank and Bank of Japan are still pedal of metal monetary policy. uh, And it's remarkable, but over $2 trillion of printed money has found its way in the financial system over the last 12 months. So there's still a tailwind of buying going on from the central banks.
1: Is 290 enough on a U.S. 10-year to attract foreign capital at a time when the budget deficit is seemingly getting wider and wider, Jack? Um, I'm not sure. I I think, um, if you look at the 10
2: year treasury, it tends to track at least over time before 2009 tends to track nominal GDP. If I take a snapshot of nominal GDP right now, it's about 4%. Yeah. So I think fair value on the 10 year is 4, not 2.9. Um, so we, at some point, I, I think we have to migrate our way back to four. And if that happens, then the, the premium that, uh, equities have enjoyed over that bond
1: uh, price has has uh, has to come down. So the big note that came from Andrew Sheets over at Morgan Stanley that is one of the most read stories on the Bloomberg, he's basically with you. We've had the appetizer of the potential damage that high yields can do to the equity market. The main course is still to come. What's your base case of what the main course looks like, Jack? Well, I would say uh, a lot of it just depends on what the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan ultimately
2: do. You, ECB has said they're going to continue its current policy through the end of the year. Bank of Japan hasn't really articulated any specific plan. Uh, and as they start to pull back, I th- quite honestly, I also think that the 10-year Treasury is probably more closely linked to the German Bund yep. than it is to the Fed funds rate. Uh, so I do think that um, that as that Fed funds rate rises, if we don't see a uh, concomitant rise in the Bund, we could invert
1: the yield curve in- inadvertently. And I think that's something Powell has to pay attention what to. What I keep hearing again and again, Jack, is this is OK so long as the move higher is slow and gradual on Treasury yields. Would you say a doubling at the front end on a two-year note over just five months is slow and gradual? Because that's probably not what I would define as slow and gradual. This has actually been quite quick through September from around 2% on a 10-year through to 290 where we are now. And a doubling on a two-year note yield in just five months, that ain't slow and gradual. No, I mean the, the fact
2: that even the 10-year was, uh, was pushing 2% uh, you know, six, not more than six months ago. Um, so we have a, a spike there. You know, it reminds me of 1994 uh, when the, F- the Fed uh, doubled the overnight rate from 3% to 6% in a period of, of uh, 12 months. And, of course, we had uh, Orange County, California. We had some mortgage problems. It was a v- too, too much, too fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Jack Evelyn, let's fold in the news right now. We have a mega merger in retail in America this morning, the Wall Street Journal uh, reporting that Albertsons which you and I know is a iconic western grocer private uh, owned by Cerberus among others is going to do a bolt on with Rite Aid Rite Aid shareholders will own 28 to 29.6% of the new company the dominant company buys in the publicly traded small company we've seen this before And what it amounts to is corporations desperate for revenue growth in this word scale. You're expert at this. You you, you, you know, you've been known for decades to have the idea of folding our economics into where we are right now. Is this a scale decade?
2: I think it is, Tom. Uh, The fact is that the pie is not growing fast enough uh, to um, satisfy shareholders, to satisfy management, to satisfy anybody, and so um, you know, the next best thing is to increase the pie slice. Um, best way to do it is to grow faster than than what the pie is allowing is is acquisition.
0: Yeah. I mean, within the press release, John, and it goes on forever and ever ever. This is a well thought out plan of synergy, which is again, we can't make it the way we are. We've got to mate. We, you know, forget about the names. We've got to mate. We've got a bond to get revenue growth that's six, seven, eight, nine percent, and then work down the income statement from there. That's all this is about.
2: Yeah, and it's a, a first, first of all a very thinly uh, margin business to begin with, and so uh, you know that that that's problematic too. Of course, Rite Aid wider margins uh, than a grocer, yeah. but uh, still, and and I, I will say that it also uh, had the uh, Amazon effect. Uh, yeah, that created problems. A and few and John, ago. it's some yeah.
0: 80 billion, 83 billion. And as, as Jack mentions, they come down to about eight, nine percent uh, EBITDA of the 3.7 billion is I love this, John. Run rate, cost, synergy. That's, a, that's <laughs> you know, what you had this weekend, right? I thought, weekend, I thought right? we
1: had a rule on Bloomberg Surveillance <clears throat> that we didn't use the word synergy. It's one of my least favorite. The corporate words. speak it's for, my for job cuts yes. <laughs> and slashing costs. So we still in the cost stripping business? In 2018, Jack? No, I think we I, – I
2: will say that companies have seen a remarkable amount of pricing power, uh, much more so than I would have expected uh, recently. You know, of course, we're starting Where's to – Where's
1: the pricing power, Jack? That's going to be surprising to a lot of people. Where's well, the pricing you, power?
2: It's going to come around where we ru- start running out of capacity. Trucking, for example, we're running out of trucking capacity. Uh, shipping prices are, are rising. Amazon's going to try to fight back with its own
1: aircraft and infrastructure. Well, I understand, Jack, and I apologize to jump in. That's supply constraints. I get that. But pricing power usually assumes there's tolerance on the other side. I don't see where the tolerance is on the other side. Is the tolerance for higher prices? I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I do
2: think that consumers and businesses are are used to continually lower prices, but we also haven't been in an environment where we, we are bumping against supply constraints. So uh, in in a world where we're now growing faster than potential GDP, this is probably the third quarter where we're outstripping our, our potential run rate, we are starting to use up capacity. And that's really what I'm on the uh, lookout for. The fact is that if we do start running out of capacity in certain parts of the market, yeah, maybe labor um, maybe certainly as I, as I mentioned trucking and, but other productive capacity, we could see uh, higher prices ensue.
1: So a question we usually lean on in this program and others here on Bloomberg is the optimal call option on inflation this year. What is it? Is it something as vanilla as tips or is there something else you need to do Jack to really hedge that exposure, the potential that you do get a potpire in prices this year? Well, I think, uh, it all depends on how bonds react. If, if,
2: uh, if bonds overshoot inflation which I expect they will unless the central banks continue to hold rates lower than they should um, we will see real rates rise uh we will say we'll, we we will see uh potentially the equity premium fall yeah uh, and so in an environment like that you want to own you know things related to commodities like master limited partnerships remarkably of all the income asset classes, Uh, Master
1: Limited Partnerships actually have a positive correlation to interest rates. Interesting. Jack Ablam is the Crescent Founding Partner and Chief Investment Officer.
0: Let's uh, not guess in the politics of our nation. He knows that it's February 12th and February 22nd. Greg Vellier joins us with Horizon Investments right now. Greg, we've got to go to gerrymandering. Mr. Jerry of Salem, Massachusetts. We all understand it's nationwide. Is Pennsylvania unique in its gerrymandering, or will there be other Pennsylvanias where the courts say you got to redraw the map?
3: Well, Pennsylvania Tom was uniquely blatant with their gerrymandering. Okay. You just look at the map and it's like you know, it's crazy. So I, I do think they stand out, but there will be other states. And in general, this trend of maybe dealing with gerrymandering will help the Democrats.
0: Within your note today, and you don't talk specifically about this, but you're so up to speed we're gonna do it. Lay out the special elections is we get to summer when the campaigns really heat up for November uh, of 2018.
3: Well, first of all, the big story is Republican retirements. They're up to about 30 now, which is very unusually high, indicating there's a lot of House Republicans who do not want to serve under Nancy Pelosi if she returns as Speaker. So you do see a lot of retirements, and you do see some special elections. And so far, in general, the special elections have broken for the party that has the most motivated voters, and that party is well, the Democrat. Well, <clears throat>
0: that's right where I wanted to go. I, I put out a tweet this weekend about Turnout, and you know we we want to be apolitical here at Bloomberg Surveillance. We try and full disclosure, we fail at that sometimes, uh, folks. But 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 within this is the turnout. What is the turnout dynamic you see in your research, Greg Vali?
3: Well, you certainly saw it in Virginia, the gubernatorial race. Alabama's Senate race was kind of fluky. That judge was pretty weird. But I I think in most races we've seen so far show there are a lot of angry women, angry people of color, angry young people, as we're seeing with guns. And they tend to break for the Democrats.
0: Some would suggest our president is angry. Maybe all would suggest that. (laughs) How is his advice this week? Does, uh, Does General Kelly have any impact with an angry president? I
3: think the general has uh, had decreased uh, clout. His halo has slipped. And I think Trump was almost unsupervised this weekend where he went on just a rant, a Twitter storm rant for the entire weekend. Uh, He has to show some sign. I talked to Republicans who say he's got to show some sign of displeasure over what the Russians have done. He blames everybody, but doesn't blame Russia for hacking into our election last fall.
1: So Greg, big question. When does the GOP break with the president, if at all. They're
3: too chicken, Jonathan. I think that they'd talk to their voters back home. And we all have to remember, Trump has about 80% approval among Republicans. So a lot of Republicans are scared to do anything. And to be fair, they're also hoping that by Labor Day, this economy will look even stronger because people have more
1: money in their pockets. And are you going to see that tax cut in the midterms? You're going to see them come up in the numbers?
3: Absolutely. There's a new poll out now showing a slim majority of Americans now support the tax cut. The number's been going straight up for the yeah. last few weeks. I, I think the White House is counting on GDP of 3% or better, unemployment under under 4 And I think that could help them in the fall, despite all of these motivated voters for the Democrats.
0: You mentioned earlier... That the House could go Democrat. Would you explain to our global audience why the Senate isn't part of the Valier math?
3: It's sort of a fluke. Uh, as we all know, one third of the Senate is up every two years. It just so happens that the 33 yeah. seats that are up this time are 25 Democrats, including 10 in states that Trump carried, including five in states that Trump won in a landslide. So just based on who's up, the Republicans well, have a decent chance.
0: Then does that mean the Senate is more in play in 2020 as it's yes. one third, one third, one third? Yes.
3: Yeah, in, in, in 2020 there would be an opportunity for the Democrats, but it's just a, it, it's a weird break right now.
1: Yeah. Greg, I, I want your insight on one thing and it came up at the back end of last week and it, it breathed some life into this week as well. Mitt Romney, how does that change things if at all? And what's your read on what's going going on there?
3: You know, we've all been to weddings where people at the reception have looked at the bride and groom and said, this is not going to last. This is one that will not last. <laughs> I think it's just, it's just a matter of time, guys, before
0: uh,
3: Romney and uh, Trump get into a big tweet storm. You, you can just see that one coming.
0: Oh, my word. Therapy with Dr. Greg this morning. <laughs> on Bloomberg. Sorry, John, please.
1: So, great. if it's not going to last, I just wonder what it means. Does it change the calculus on, on what they can and can't get done if Romney gets in?
3: I don't think so. Let me make two really quick points. Even if the Republicans lose both houses, Trump still has his veto. That's why the market shouldn't worry too much if the Democrats have a big, big election. You know, the other thing is that I think when you've got someone like Romney uh, as maybe a lightning rod, the chances that he could take out Trump in 2020 mean the same as the chances for Kasich or Flake. The base would never go along with Mitt Romney as a replacement for Trump. And I think everybody in the party knows well, that.
0: But to John's good question on the, uh, the governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the Olympian from Utah, where <laughs> are the moderate Republicans now? I mean, Mitt Romney's got a certain cachet to yeah. do what he wants. What are the mere mortals of the moderate Republican Party do?
3: They're adrift. And, you know, I, there's no place for them to go. The, the Chamber of Commerce, pro business, pro free trade, pro gun control, yeah. moderate Republicans are, are becoming an anachronism. I, there aren't enough of them. The base of the party hates them. So where do they go? I mean, it's, I could be, after three glasses of wine, I could be persuaded that we might get a third party. But, you know, Michael Bloomberg's probably too old. He's 74.
1: We can't comment on that on this program. We can't do that, Greg. I know. Where's the surveillance
0: (laughs) trap door for the gentleman (laughs) (laughs) from New Hampshire? I got
1: you. I got you. Greg Valier, let's get out of trouble quickly and and move on to, to what we could get in terms of policy. Who's going to inherit the fiscal discipline position? And does the fiscal discipline position win you any votes these days?
3: No, it really doesn't. I mean, no one can see what, what bad things the deficit can do. I would argue in two, three years, they'll be crowding out bond markets, vigilantes, all that stuff. But for right now, everybody says, hey, the stock and bond markets look pretty good. They're fat and happy. Well, why should we care? So who wants to take yeah. on that thankless task? I mean, the prescriptions we all know are curb Social Security, curb Medicare. Nobody wants to do
1: that.
0: Greg, thank you for the briefing. Greg, we're right, uh, with us today on Bloomberg Surveillance. just a huge Is he allowed uh, back home? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah well, we, can, we, gotta, we can have him back? We can. He's okay. the one
0: exception. It is good after the uh, uproar of the last 11 days to have a modest quiet, and we do that with Sam Stovall of CFRA. Sam, what did you learn in the last week and a half?
4: Good morning, Tom. Uh, Well, what I learned is that the market does tend to look for bottoms. Um, Sometimes they're simply relief rallies, as we might have gotten last week. But then typically what we do is retest those lows to see if they indeed are the lows for this correction.
0: Do you believe in technical analysis? I mean, your Standard & Poor's heritage is fundamental-based, outlook-based, five-star-based, and that the charts matter to Sam Stovall?
4: Uh, Yes, they do. I think that fundamentals tell you what, but technicals tell you when and how far. So the combination of the two, and I also like to add history as a third element to help to sort of read the tea leaves of the market.
0: Mr. Fox, I 100% agree with what Mr. Stovall said there with the wisdom he learned from his father. I would say fundamentals, technicals, history, maybe add in a little economics too. That's the Ed Hyman way.
5: Okay, I was going to add in behavioral, Sam, uh, because uh, I'm just I'm trying to understand why we're not hearing more calls to sell into the rally in equities.
4: Well, I think because people have been convincing themselves for so long that we are in need of a correction, and indeed we were. We went the longest stretch since World War II, 564 calendar days, without a decline of 5% or more, and it was just a matter of time. Uh, But I think most people say we don't see a recession on the horizon, and we are among those. So as a result, the feeling is you want to be buying into this kind of a decline. Uh, The real question is... Uh, How low will it go? No, no, but I want to know,
5: okay, buy into the decline. I get that. You know, you buy the dips. I've heard that, you know, a bazillion times. But I'm just trying to understand how come you don't hear the calls for sell into the rally and come back and play another day?
4: Well, I guess it all depends on what your overall approach is. As Tom had mentioned, you know, I've come from an S&P heritage, which looks a year out. We don't look a week out. So we're not going to be able to time um, when to get out, when to get in, in simply a matter of days. So, I mean, you've got your traders who can do that, but that's not our forte.
5: Okay, but I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is it always seems time to buy. It never seems time to sell. And that might be great if your time horizon is indefinite, but if you're looking to actually pay for things like tuition or retirement or a home, uh, you need cash at those moments where you got to write the big check. And particularly if you're buying something like a house, you want to take advantage, unfortunately, of someone else's misfortune and you want to make your money when you make the purchase, not when you sell it.
4: All right. Well, that's a good point. Uh, As Tom had mentioned before about technical analysis, I learned a lot from Mark Arbiter, somebody who used to work at S&P. And he likes to look at uh, moving averages that tend to cross one another. 1743 in particular, the 17-week moving average breaking below the 43-week moving average. That gave him a longer-term perspective as to our heading into very challenging Did we see that this time? We did not see that this time. We did see that in January of 2008, however, so it did give you a pretty good lead time uh, into the financial mega
5: meltdown. So what are you looking at right now? What are the areas of the market that you think are the most underpriced?
4: Well, uh, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago that talked about um, what you want to do is you go for those areas that actually lost the most uh, in the overall decline, Uh, areas such as technology, consumer discretionary, which were beaten up the most because investors had the greatest number of profits that they could take from those groups. And as a result, I think you want to be buying into those companies. So uh, areas where we have favorable stock recommendations And these are companies with consistent track records of raising earnings and dividends would include companies like um, Walt Disney, uh, would also include Comcast, Foot Locker. Window worldwide so our belief is that um you can take advantage of some cyclical sectors at this point uh and buy into them especially when they offer lower beta and higher quality of earnings
5: and and just quickly sam uh what about rebalancing the portfolio do you find that people have been doing that consistently
4: um, I think that it's one of those things that uh, if you are too afraid to uh, buy, uh, but you also realize you don't want to be selling, by engaging in rebalancing, you're sort of forcing yourself to to do yeah. that. Uh, and if nothing else, it, it's a behavioral thing because it helps an investor to stay, say, I'm actually doing something during this decline, but I'm not really messing up my portfolio.
0: Uh, Sam Stovall, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate that update here. 11 days on. It's been very kind of him to join us here. Up the script and migrate to Washington. Our chief Washington correspondent, Kevin Cerilli, is within Mike Allen's note this morning. Mr. Mueller works fast. Kevin, what does it say that Mr. Mueller seems to be doing an indictment or an allegation charges every other day or maybe every third day? What does that signal?
6: Well, it signals that they've essentially built a case. Look, headlines crossing the terminal now. That Rick Gates, you'll remember the deputy, the Paul Manafort, the Trump campaign manager, charged with conspiring against the United States. His right-hand man, Rick Gates, was also charged And that round of charges. He's going to plead guilty in the next couple of days. That suggests that Rick Gates is fully cooperating with the authorities, with Bob Mueller's team, and could potentially, you know, provide information against Paul Manafort or against the administration officials. There's also another associate named in this latest round of charges. Uh, who essentially is going to be wrapped up in the Ukraine uh, money laundering connected to Paul Manafort. So I, it, it, it appears, based on these latest round of charges, that the Mueller probe is really intensifying and in building its case against Manafort, which, from a political standpoint, if you're the Trump administration, still doesn't penetrate the inner circle uh, as of yeah. now. And on Friday, you know, we all, we all remember that statement of the Russian. Uh, as now, it still hasn't penetrated into the inner circle as it stands.
0: Well, within that, and, and again, David Voracious uh, writing it up, Skadnarps lawyer charged with role in U.S.-Russia probe, Alex Vanderswan, who's been very visible in Ukrainian debates on money moving around, charged in federal court in Washington, and this is, and again, drawing in Ukraine, that he helped prepare on the trial of Ukrainian politician Yulia Timoshenko. And the key sentence, Kevin Cirilli, Vanderswan Swan was charged with a, quote, criminal information, unquote, which typically precedes a guilty plea. How would you yeah. assume that the president's attorneys or administration attorneys react to this, or do they just ignore it because it's they're not touched by this? Well,
6: I mean, I think it's bad news for Paul Manafort. And I think we should we should know. I mean, Paul Manafort is the former campaign manager of the president of the United States, who, and the campaign manager was charged with conspiring against the United States. I mean, let's just like that in and of itself is a very serious charge, obviously. But you're right to your point. And, and I don't you know, when we in covering this, you know, this Tom, I, I hate to speculate about like where this is going to go. But as of today, I mean, it's, it's important to note none of these charges touch the inner circle, and none, nothing in that 30-plus page document on Friday touched the inner circle. But how the administration is responding to what the intelligence community has found, which is a a well-orchestrated cyber attack on a democratic institution on Silicon Valley institutions, I mean, I just haven't seen a a, a coordinated, organized response, and that. Is something that Americans can take, uh, whether or not they decide it's an important issue in in the midterm. So I do think there's no timetable on this. Remember James Comey, who, by the way, is coming out with a book next month, uh, having released these types of findings a couple of days before the election. We're in a situation in an environment where a Mueller indictment could drop any second of any day.
5: Kevin Cirilli, uh, do we know the extent of the interest of uh, Robert Mueller in Skadden Arps? Because wasn't Paul Manafort the person that arranged for Skadden Arps to put together a report that was used by Viktor Yanukovych? This was the Russian-aligned president of the Ukraine to justify the jailing of a political rival. Yes. So, uh,
6: yes. So essentially... You had a situation where Paul Manafort was working with the pro-Russian factions of the Ukraine. And the, the individual charged today, whose name I'm not going to butcher, is because um, I'm literally walking to the White House, um, is the person who helped arrange those financial dealings. And so, again, the, 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 yeah. if, you're, if you're outside of Washington, if you're trying to figure out <clears throat> where this is all headed, there is an intense focus on Paul Manafort, right. uh, the former campaign manager of the president of the United States.
0: I'm impressed, Kevin, that you're walking to the White House instead of taking the surveillance Sikorsky. That's always uh, noted. One more more question, Kevin, if we could. You're walking towards the White House. Who is advising the president this morning at the White House? Does General Kelly still have critical mass? I
6: mean, I thought what was interesting over the, the weekend was to see the president tweet out a criticism of Secretary Mattis. Uh, for his public speech that he gave on Saturday saying that Russians clearly had um, a concerted effort to meddle in the 2016 election. The president tweeted right after that speech criticism of him saying, well, what he forgot to mention was that there was mm-hmm. no collusion. That would suggest that he's since turned his ire and his latest fury of the day, fire and fury, for lack of a better term, on um, on right. Matt, Secretary Mattis as opposed to General Kelly. So
0: maybe... You
6: know how this goes is when you're at the doghouse, you're out of the doghouse. Yeah. Who's up and who's down? It looks like General Kelly has, for now,
0: survived. Uh, we will uh, see. Kevin Cerilli, thank you so much for the briefing. I'm, here, I'm sure folks across our Bloomberg platforms uh, today will hear much more from uh, Mr. Uh, Cerilli. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast